Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited that we're going to be recording a coaching episode today. It's been quite a while since we've done one of these. It, it, it has, and we are in September and all of a sudden we've got fall marathon season right upon us. We were starting to do, we actually had uh, some runners do races this past weekend, which is you know, race season has already started and we're in the thick of doing race prep for all of our runners. And what we're really excited about is that we are, this is going to kick off a series of podcasts that are race specific interviews with race directors, race officials, really d diving down deep into um, some of the fall marathons and getting some tips from the people in the know. So we've got, um, we've got Philadelphia marathon coming up. We've got Marine Corps marathon. We've got CIM. Um, we've got, uh, well, so we've Chicago. got Chicago, which is exciting. We've got uh, race director Chicago marathon. I know I'm missing Indy. another one. Which one? Indy. Oh, Indy. Yes. Indy uh, <laughs> Monumental. So we've got those and we're working on possibly adding some others, but uh, stay tuned for uh, interviews with race directors and race officials from those races that are going to give us inside tips on race prep for those races. But today we're going to talk about some general things that folks can be doing now um, to control the controllables. We always talk about that. There are a lot of things that we can't control. We can't control the weather. Uh, we can't control um, certain aspects of our of, of what's going to happen on race day, but there are things we can control. So today we're going to talk about different um, ways we can take control of the process and set ourselves up for success. That's right. This is part one of a two-part coaching episode. So today we're going to focus on controlling the control controllables leading up to our fall races. And while many of the tips we're providing today are applicable to marathons, many of them are very much applicable to any race um, of any distance. And then later on in the season, we will talk about part two, which is controlling the controllables during your race. Um, so we decided to divide this into three parts. We're gonna focus first on nutrition and hydration. Second, we're gonna focus on mental preparation. And then third, we're going to focus on physical preparation. And we have one more too, logistical preparation. Logistical preparation. So, yeah, four actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So why don't we get started? First of all, um, why don't we talk a little bit about nutrition, hydration, and let me first interrupt before we get into this and talk about the fact that we have talked a lot about nutrition and hydration in our podcast over the past month, because of course we had on Dr. Stacy Sims, and then we had a follow-up last week with Amy Goldsmith, our registered dietitian. We encourage those who haven't yet to listen to both and make your own assessment as to how you want to gather the advice that was provided. We like to provide different viewpoints and we like to provide different sources of viewpoints on this podcast, because if we didn't, we would be irresponsible. There is more than one way to skin a cat. There is more than one way to approach marathon training. There is more than one way to approach nutrition. We know what we believe works best for our runners based on what we've seen. However, we are always open to hearing new ideas. And that's why it was so important to us to have on Dr. Stacey Sims and to hear about her research. And then to follow that up with Amy, who is a registered dietitian who works with runners in the 
female athlete population of this age demographic and has done that for the past 20 years. So taking both those together, some may listen and say, huh, they really contradict each other, but really no, it's that we're presenting the science and we're presenting the in real time and also based on studies and saying to you, our listeners and to our runners, here's what we know and here's the information we have. And now let's talk about how you want to apply it in your race. So today, as we talk about nutrition, we are coming from it as experienced coaches and what we believe works for the runners we've coached over the past 13 years. Right. Practitioners. And that's, you know, what it kind of comes down to is how, how, how have we seen this play out in practice? And I think you really hit the nail on the head. And I think we talked about this last week with Amy um, as well. Everyone is an individual. We are all an experiment of one. So we take the information, we take the science, we take the practical, um, you know, the, the application and um, we see what works for us. And uh, like you said, the advice that we have today is what we've learned over 13 years of coaching runners of running ourselves. We both between the two of us have probably run close to 60, 70, maybe 80 marathons collectively. Um, So that's really crazy, but that's like, like you said, that's our job as coaches is to present the, the science, the application, and to look at all aspects of, of these different topics and, um, and, and to come at it uh, as, as unbiased as we can, uh, taking new information that comes with new information comes out all the time, um, new studies, um, new products, new approaches. And, uh, you know, we would be irresponsible if we just took those new uh, approaches wholeheartedly and ran with them without asking questions, without uh, looking at how it, it plays out in, in real time. So, um, so we're going to start with nutrition and hydration. And one of the first things that we like to tell our runners, um, you know, about this time, or, you know, a couple months out from their race, at least, um, is um, first check, see what fuel is going to be uh, um, on the course. So go on the website for your for your race and see what's going to be on the course. And if that's something you think you're going to want to do, you're going to want to grab fuel on the course, make sure you're practicing with that fuel. And that plays out particularly to international marathons. There are some products that international marathons use that you will never have tried or tasted. Race day is not the day you want to try or taste those products. So I know some of our runners doing international marathons have actually ordered from international, um, uh, you know, uh, stores or however they get them, you know, get uh, Amazon even usually can get them on um, those products to work, to use on, on their runs. But regardless of what fuel you are going to use on race day, um, practice with it and not only practice with the fuel, which you should be doing, should have been doing all along, especially in your long runs, the timing of it. Um, we've talked about this before, but how are you going to consume it? So if you're somebody who likes to use um, scratch, let's say we talked about scratch last week, which is a drink mix, and you have been used to drinking, mixing your drink at home and then leaving a bottle outside your house and grabbing it halfway through your run, what are you going to do on race day? Like, are you going to have somebody on the course to hand you a second bottle? Um, are you going to bring powder with you, drop it in an empty bottle and mix it with water? Like, how are you going to do that? Um, how are you going to get out your, your gels? Are you going to, do you need to rip them a little beforehand? Or is it easy when you're actually running at race pace? to rip those gels open. And are you, if you're taking half a gel, where are you gonna put the gel after you take half the gel? If you're taking honey stinger chews with you, um, you know, I always like to take them out of the packaging they come in and put them in a Ziploc baggie. Practice doing that. Um, I, I just um, anecdotally, I remember uh, the very cold Boston 2018. Uh, we, both, we both had trouble accessing our nutrition because our hands were so cold. So if you've got a leader, fall or winter marathon and you think that might be an issue, think about how you're going to access your fuel. So in addition 
to practicing taking your fuel, not only on your training runs, but when you're running fast, figure out the logistics of taking that. How much are you going to need to bring with you? Where are you going to fit it? Are you going to bring a fuel belt? Are you going to wear a spy belt? Are you going to stuff it in your pockets? Like how much are you going to need? How are you going to carry it with you? So that's, that's, you know, one of the practical ways you can start practicing for your nutrition and control that controllable now. Great point. And I want to reiterate something you said twice, and that is while you're running fast. So if you're someone that's not inclined to do some tempo miles in your long run, that's okay. That's not for everyone. If you do one speed workout a week, and then now is the time if you haven't started already, bring your nutrition with you to your speed workout and practice running at marathon pace or slightly faster while taking a nutrition. Make sure your stomach can handle that. Make sure you practice drinking while running around that pace. Um, certainly, we're not encouraging that you do that while you're doing your 800s at 10K pace. That wouldn't necessarily translate, but absolutely during some of those MP and LT miles, it's time to bring your nutrition and practice consuming it and practice digesting it. And if it's not working great dress rehearsal, if you're having stomach issues, time to troubleshoot. Uh, similarly, you also want to bring with you and practice cell tabs. It amazes us how many people have never tried cell tabs. And then on race day, they're suddenly trying cell tabs and cell tabs like uh, other forms of nutrition are tricky because they come in forms of chews or um, sort of in a capsule form. And you wanna make sure that you're able to take that. For some people, they like the simplicity of taking one capsule per hour. For others, they like the option with the chews that you don't need to take it with water. Whereas with, of course, a capsule, you have to swallow it with water. So these are all little things. They, they're not a big deal, but what a nice, opportunity to practice them well before race day so that you are not coming into race day um, without that preparation. I remember a cute story. I think it was a couple of years ago when Molly Seidel was just starting the marathon and she posted on one of her Instagram stories. She's like still a rookie. And she actually was looking up the night before her race. How often should I take my nutrition? And it wasn't because I'm sure Molly didn't know or didn't practice. It was more like Molly wasn't sure because she was nervous about her race. So alleviate that anxiety for yourself. Have your plan in place well before race day so you're not thinking about that in your hotel room while reviewing your race prep. Absolutely. In addition to practicing the race nutrition, we want to practice pre-race nutrition. So the next few weeks, especially for those who are training for uh, marathons that are in the next six to eight weeks and you still have a few 20 milers left, the night before your 20 miler, do a dry run through whatever you plan to have the night before your race. We tend to recommend having it about 12 to 14 hours before your race time. So if you're planning to do your long run at seven in the morning, the next morning, five to 7 PM the night before have what you think you are going to have on, on race the night before your race. So um, we've talked before in other episodes about what that can be. Um, you know, we like to weight it heavily towards, you know, more higher percentage of carbs, um, higher percentage of calories from carbs, um, but whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that works for you. Because if it doesn't, you want to find that out in training, not on race day and think forward to, if you're traveling for your race, um, you know, are you going to go to an Italian restaurant and get some pasta? Are you going to, how, how are you going to get it when you get to that location? Are you going to pack it and bring it with you? Are you, um, you know, what, what's your plan and whatever that plan is, um, and practice. And, uh, you know, we always recommend staying on the safe side, 
um, stay away from spicy foods, stay away from, um, you know, anything that might upset your stomach, uh, you know, especially if you're going out to restaurants, make sure it's a reputable place. We, we break that a little when we do sushi the night before a race. I know we've done that before a lot, but we always make sure a sushi restaurant has good reviews and nobody has commented about getting sick from the sushi, but in general, you want to just make sure that you're staying on the safe side. But again, practice, practice, practice. So these opportunities that you still have with your long runs remaining, do a dry run night before, uh, you know, just what you think you're going to want to eat uh, the night before race day and see how that works for you. Yeah. We just had a runner, this, this exact scenario happened to him. Um, he's a very seasoned, great runner and he ate at a restaurant that he normally eats at. It's a chain and he felt like it was a safe bet, but there was something in his meal that didn't agree with him. And he ended up starting the race, uh, pretty dehydrated, unfortunately, because he was sick to his stomach for part of the night and that happens. Um, so, you know, we all do our best, but, uh, just be, be cautious. And we know a runner who the only thing she eats before every race is Chipotle. And that is something, no matter what city she's in, that is what she gets because she feels like it's somewhat streamlined and it allows her the opportunity to get the exact same meal with the exact same measurements that she's had previously. So there are some options out there to kind of hopefully safeguard you from getting sick before a race, but we're, you know, at this point as coaches, we've heard it all. So we're not saying this is a normal thing, but we're just pointing it out that you really want to be scrupulous about where you eat the night before a race. And stick with what works. And that's funny that you mentioned that story because I actually saw that runner, Christina, a, a local runner that we run with. I saw her at the Philadelphia distance run that was actually just a year ago now. And I told her that I always tell that story to runners that, um, so she has that meal. And I remember the one year that she changed it, she decided she was going to eat better, healthier. She wasn't going to get the fast food before the race. So she changed up her whole diet, like the week before and said, I'm going to eat clean. And she had a crummy race. And she said it was probably because she missed the salt, the sodium that was in that food and her, what her normal routine was. So again, that normal routine, figure it out now, stick with it. Like you said, if you know, you're going to be near a Chipotle at your race, then go get Chipotle the night before your long run and make sure, you know, see what combination of, of, of foods work for you. Um, but that's a, that's a great example. And you talked about, you know, uh, our runner this past weekend who ended up dehydrated start line hydration is another um, aspect of something you want to practice. Um, first with respect to hydration, cutting out alcohol. Um, it's not a popular, not a popular piece of advice for a lot of people, but you just forwarded me a podcast that I listened to this week from Marathon Training Academy with a cardiologist who talked about, um, running after COVID. She also talked about, um, heart rate during training, but one of her areas of specialty is studying how alcohol affects training and performance. And after listening to her, I think I think if, if a lot of people listen to that um, podcast, they may stop drinking altogether. Just how alcohol affects your recovery, your sleep, your hydration, so many things that are critical to performance. So even if you're not going to cut out alcohol for most of your training, um, as you get closer to race day, and particularly the week before race day, cutting out alcohol, and then just figuring out too how hydration works for you without overhydrating. You don't need to be um, drinking a certain number of glasses of water a day, but hydrating um, sufficiently, uh, hydrating and drinking to thirst and just making sure you're well hydrated without being overhydrated. But also hydrating, not just with water. You know, we talked a lot about this with, uh, Stacey Sims a couple of weeks ago, the importance of having some, a little bit of salt in your water, a little bit of, it doesn't have to be a complicated electrolyte drink, but something that has a little bit of salt and a little bit of sugar. I know for me, I can't 
I get so bored of plain water. I really enjoy drinking water with flavor anyway. So it's very easy for me to stick a noon tablet in my water, drink it all day or, or any type of um, sort of hydration packet that adds some flavor. So I know there's a lot of people out there like me, but if you're someone that only drinks plain water, uh, make sure at least during your, the height of your training and also during taper week that you are adding some electrolytes at the very least a little salt to your water because just water isn't enough and it actually can dilute a lot of the other other nutrients that you're getting and here you are doing your best to eat and drink as much as possible but if you're over hydrating and I'm not talking about hypotremia hydrating I'm just talking about drinking so much water that your pee is almost too clear um, you wanted the color of light lemonade not super clear and um, you do want to have you you want to go to the bathroom frequently that does indicate that you're hydrating but it's a balance so listen to your body we all as seasoned runners know what it means and what it looks like to be well hydrated the week before a race though i don't know about you lisa sometimes i might overhydrate because i'm nervous drink too much and just you know use common sense Yep. And like we've been saying all along, how to practice this as you're getting closer to race day. Thus, never want to do anything new race day or the week leading to, to up to the race. So um, just dial that all in now. And I think the last thing we'll just talk about with nutrition is as you get closer to race day um, during taper, uh, the tendency for a lot of runners as they cut back on their mileage is to cut back on the food that they're eating. And that's the last thing you wanna do that taper week. That taper week is when your body is going to be processing those carbs and storing that glycogen that you're gonna need for race day. Um, so just because you're tapering uh, does not mean uh, that you need to uh, cut back on your fuel. It really means you need to pay closer attention to your fuel and make sure you're getting in those carbohydrates that are going to stock your glycogen stores. Yeah, great point. I think especially, unfortunately, people who are, you know, more weight conscious, they may feel sort of guilty. I don't know the right word for not working out as much during taper week, or I feel off. I'm used to doing this much mileage. I'm doing so much less and then inadvertently eating less to compensate for it. Do not do that. You, your body needs the nutrients and just think of it as sort of getting a PR and taper, just like we want to get a PR and recovery. You want to nourish your body, nourish those muscles, uh, promote recovery. And if, and if anything you want to cut back on, it's the foods that aren't going to serve your fueling well. So if you're someone who really enjoys the candy, like you and I do, you know, cut back on it a little bit during taper week and have less, there is a place that you can cut back on and it, it won't serve you well to have more candy. And it certainly won't, you know, certainly will serve you well to have a little less. That's one example, just like alcohol, My alcohol, body. right. Alcohol right. My advice is definitely sweets, not alcohols, but I understand <laughs> like someone who likes to have their wine. I can understand it from a perspective of a person who likes to have their sweets. And I know you can too. That's like, our absolutely. Thing. Yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. No judgment, but we're no, just saying no, what, no we, judgment. what we know. Um, yeah, I'll so, just say my candy has fueled me well over many, many years. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no yeah. doubt you. I mean, especially, I mean, look the night before Boston, every year we go to the candy store and we have some, we have some good old candy and guess what? Yeah. It works as well, but I'm just talking about, you know, throughout the week, like that's all in general. Yeah. In general. Yeah. So anyway, moving on from nutrition, we now want to talk a little bit about mental preparation. And honestly, this is, this is the toughest part, uh, in terms of our coaching is helping our runners 
have confidence and and understanding how to navigate those tough moments in a race so that they don't define your race. So really the more mental preparation that one can do before race day, the stronger your race will be. And so we really encourage everyone out there listening to really think about how can I prepare mentally for my race now? And we would say, start with your long run, because of course the long run is kind of the, the shining star in the training week. So start with dividing your long run into segments and formulating your positive mantras for race day during the long run and say to yourself before the long run, all right, I'm going to divide my long run into quarters. And the first mantra I'm going to use is, um, you know, move forward, uh, relentless progress, whatever you want your mantra to be for each segment of the run. But you've heard us say this before. It's worth repeating mantras. We do not like our ones with negative words, like don't stop. Um, that's not a good mantra. Instead, uh, all your brain's going to hear is stop. Your brain's going to hear stop. (laughs) The example is like in golf, if you're thinking, don't hit it in the sand, don't hit it in the sand. All your brain hears is, or understands is sand. And it's going to go in the sand. Same thing here. Don't stop. You know, that's it. You're going to hear stop. Don't fade. You're going to hear fade. So stick to the positive. What do you want it? What do you want to visualize? Yes. So in your mantras for your training runs can be different than race day. Maybe the mantra for the training run is take it easy for the first quarter of the training run, because you know that you've got some MPs, some marathon pace miles coming up and you don't want to start out too fast in your training run or enjoy the day, whatever it is, divide that run into, into quarters and practice the idea of having a mantra. And if you don't plan to run with music on race day, definitely practice not running with music during a long run and really getting used to running with people or without people, however you plan to run your race um, without the crutch of music. Or if you plan to use music in your race, but you want to wait to the end, practice that during your long run, practice how that's going to look. Are you going to use music from your phone? Practice having your phone with you, have practice having your um, open ear headphones like aftershocks or something with you. And what is that going to look like? Are you going to turn them on in the middle of your race? How's that going to look? Are you going to pull out your phone? Or are you going to have some sort of mechanism on your headphones? So you don't have to pull out your phone in the middle of the race to turn on your music. These are all little things that you want to take care of before race day. Yep, absolutely. And, um, and, and it, just like anything else, you want um, that positive, that positive mental attitude, the visualization, the mantras to come naturally. So to do that, you have to practice it so that it just comes, you don't, you're not straining for it at mile 18 when you're starting to struggle, you're not comes, it just, it, it, it just comes naturally. It's, um, it's instinctual. Um, and that goes towards positive visualization. Um, you know, that's, that's like, uh, we talk about growth mindset. Um, so instead of thinking, I always fail at mile mile 18, I always hit the wall. Like, let's flip that around at mile 18. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to, um, you know, that that's where I'm going to find my strength. That's where I'm going to figure out what's my strategy for pushing through. And, um, uh, you know, a good example of that is, uh, our runner, Daniel Wachtel from Atlanta ran his goal race this weekend and, um, uh, you know, happily qualified for Boston. Um, but he was in, he told me yesterday when we kind of did our, we, we had a debrief, um, that, you know, the last, two or three miles, he was really struggling. And he went back and forth between thinking it's okay. Just walk, just take a walk break. It's okay. Just take a walk break. And then he had to really dig deep. He said, and he 
kind of thought about the things we had talked about in the months leading up to the race of that mental strength of how hard he had worked for this and how he's going to feel at the finish line when he crosses and he's achieved his goal. And so he said, when those little thoughts started coming in, if I could take a walk break, he would quickly switch back. Like just again, instinctual switch back to, I worked hard for this. How am I going to feel when I cross the finish line and I, and I achieve my goal? And it really got him through those last few miles. So um, instead of thinking I am going to bomb at mile 22 and then him feeling like that, he thought, he thought in advance about what it, we talked through this in the race prep of it gets hard when you're in a marathon and you're running for three, four, five more hours. At some point, you're going to have at least a few moments of struggle and um, to plan ahead of time. What are you going to do instead of, um, you know, uh, where the mind goes, the body follows. So if you say, I am, go this is going to happen to me at X point, or this is how I always feel here. That's what's going to happen. If you switch that, flip that mental, um, mental image and you flip that that approach um again where the mind goes the body follows so um to help with visualization we like practical tips we like to watch race videos on youtube um and look up race reports that people have written so you can actually really visualize and when you're going to bed at night visualize yourself on that course visualize how you're going to look when you're strong and you're headed toward the finish line or at a certain part of the course um th those videos and race reports can really help you actually visualize visualize that yeah, and to that end, during race week, as you're focusing on visualizing how you're going to be successful during those dark moments during a race, it's important to also do your best to surround yourself with positive people and positive situations. In other words, really try to avoid stressful situations. Maybe avoid, let's say, um, uh, no disrespect to my mother-in-law, just a, just an example, your mother-in-law stresses you out. Maybe during race week, minimize contact with said mother-in-law or whomever in your life has a role that would cause you to feel a little bit of anxiety or stress. Um, yeah, or don't let them, don't plan a visit from like, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm going to be in town the week before the race and I'd love to see you. It's okay to say like, you know what, that's my race week. I, I've got, I've got to you know, focus and I, I really can't do that, but you're right. Don't, you know, if an opportunity comes up for a work trip the week before um, a race or a big project or something, you have flexibility on the timing of it. See if you can push it after the race, because you know, that's going to weigh on you the week before two weeks, I'd say two weeks before a race. If you've got a lot of stress going on those last couple of weeks, if now at this point, as you're looking forward to your race, the race timing, you can control that, um, clear that calendar for a couple of weeks and make sure that you, you take that stress out as much as you can, understanding that you know, things are always going to come up. But And if you can't, for whatever reason, because we understand that sometimes we don't have control. What do you have control over? Well, if you have a work trip and you have children, that means that you're getting the week before your race, a hotel room by yourself. So instead flip the script and say, all right, I really didn't want to have to travel the week before my race, but I'm going to optimize the opportunity to sleep more because I'm going to have a room to myself and I won't have children waking up at night. So these are sort of the way, a way you can control the narrative and control the controllables a little bit too. Even when we can't always control the situation, we can control how we face the situation, our attitudes about the situation, and try not to create extra stress outside of the race as we lead up to race week. Yeah. And another thing you can do, it's probably, again, like, like um, abstaining from alcohol, another unpopular um, piece of advice, but disconnect from social media. We've seen this a lot with our runners. They start to get really anxious as they get closer to race day and they're seeing runners on social media who are doing certain workouts or 
um, you know, certain performances, certain paces that they're hitting. And they're like, wait a minute, I didn't do this. I can't do this. Should I be doing this? And you're second guessing yourself. And uh, I, I know we've, we've seen this a lot with our runners that social media causes a lot of stress and second guessing their training. So maybe unplug from, from social media and, and focus on yourself and your preparation. And this is your race you've prepared in the way that is best for you. And that comparison trap can really lead down um, a bad path and, and start to uh, create those negative mental uh, images that we were talking about before and, uh, and really get in the way of your positive visualization. Um, so I would recommend disconnecting from social media for at least, um, you know, maybe the month or two, even before, before your race, if it's making you, if you're looking at social media and it's, it's making you anxious. Yeah, because it, it can be social media, of course, can be a very encouraging space depending on who you follow. So maybe sort of an intermediate solution is unfollow folks who make you anxious if you still want to stay in that space and engage with others who are doing the same as you. Um, conversely, if you feel like you've put yourself inadvertently in a position where you feel sort of like people are watching you or like, it's almost like a performance. First of all, remember, no, we've said this a lot. Nobody, nobody cares about your race times, but you really, no one's going to look back on your life and be like, that person was a blah, blah, blah marathoner. No, no. I mean, for the majority of the population, 99% of the population, just running a marathon is amazing. So uh, just know that there isn't, this isn't a performance for others. It's a performance for yourself and your own goals and the disappointment or, or achievement that you feel that's internal. And of course, others will social media is a great platform to express your happiness or sadness and have that support. But at the end of the day, this is not a performance for others. It's a race for you. And it's all about you and your goal. And if you find yourself anxious because you feel you may disappoint someone, that's not the case, especially your coaches. Um, I know we can speak for other coaches. Coaches aren't coaching because they expect their runners to achieve a certain goal. And if they don't, they're disappointed in them. No, coaches are there through the good times and the bad times. And coaches are there to support a runner in their journey. And whatever the outcome is, the coach is there to support them and understand they did what they could with their journey. So Again, this is not a performance for others. It's about you. And if social media at all is exacerbating that feeling, then that is a good time now for some evaluation as to whether you want to stay on a platform or at the very least unfollow folks that you feel are causing you negative energy. Absolutely. Yep. And you know what? With all that extra time that you... Um, that you uh, gain from not being on social media, you can sleep <laughs> so and, and recover. So that takes us into kind of the physical preparation. What can we be doing now and controlling our physical preparation? And the number one tip is sleep. That is, uh, you know, what is really going to to drive your preparation for a race. And that's something that you can control a, a few weeks out. And if you focus on it, the weeks or even months leading up to race day, if you don't sleep well the night or two nights before the race, cause you're nervous or you're in a different place, you're in a strange place, you're in a hotel room, whatever, um, there's noise there, whatever disrupts your sleep, you know, it won't matter because you slept well for the weeks or even months uh, leading up to race day. And so some tips, um, for getting some good sleep, put your phone away. <laughs> so, you know, get off social media, put your phone away early. Don't, don't look at your phone late at night, right before you go to bed, make sure your room is dark. 
Um, you can take magnesium or other supplements to help with sleep. Um, avoid alcohol. We've been talking about that and caffeine so that your sleep isn't, isn't disrupted. So start thinking, it's never too early to start thinking about sleep. But again, you can rest assured that if you're focusing on sleep for the um, you know, few weeks before your race, uh, it will not matter as you get closer to race day. If you've got a few nights of, of not, not the greatest, won't have to stress you out that you haven't had the best sleep for a couple nights before the race. One of my number one tips for a good night's sleep is to keep the room cool. I really find that it, I will wake up if my, the temperature in my room isn't, is suddenly above 68. I am that sensitive. So I know there's a lot of people out there like me with that. So make sure your room is nice and cool and um, that you've done everything you can to maximize your sleep. And if you do, if you are someone that wakes up in the middle of the night, um, do your best to kind of calm down and try not to pick up your phone. Um, instead, just really focus on thinking about something other than the fact that you're not sleeping, something like counting. I'm not counting sheep. That's so cliche, but just thinking of a happy moment or something that will cause you to relax. The worst thing one can do is uh, pick up a phone or any type of blue light. And they say even reading a book, I know sometimes that's been recommended before if you can't sleep to read a book, but that's turning on a light. So if you wake up, really try to sort of will yourself back to sleep by just staying calm and staying, you know, in the dark, maybe get up for a minute, wash your face or do something to sort of recreate your bedtime routine and then go back to bed. But we understand that that happens to people a lot. And if you can do what you can to still maximize the the, the four corners of getting a good night's sleep, even if it is in the middle of the night, that's only going to help you. Or take a nap during the day. If you can grab a nap, you're lucky enough to be able to grab a nap during the day. That's another way to, to add a little bit of extra sleep and, and recovery time. Um, uh, another tip um, right now, take care of any small red flag issues that are coming up. So if you said, eh, I have a little pain in my foot, I've got this little First of all, take a couple of days off. A couple of days off now is going to be much more beneficial than as you get closer to race day and you're panicking because you still have the pain and you might have to take a few weeks off and that's going to take you through your race day. And we want to get to the, you can't have a great race unless you get to the start line healthy. So take care of any of those small red flag issues now. Um, make an appointment with a PT or an orthopedist, a podiatrist, the, the, the relevant expert, and to get on top of any, any possible issues. Um, and, and if it's an issue and if there's something that you need to take care of before we get closer to race day, maybe you need to adjust your goals. So um, you need to look at your training. Maybe if your training wasn't exactly what you know you had planned it to be and you went you're, you were going into the your goal race with some big goals, take a realistic look at where you are, where is your physical capability. If you had COVID and you had to take a few weeks off and you're still not feeling back to your normal self, maybe it's time to adjust goals. Maybe that, that means adjusting your time expectation. Maybe that even means adjusting your goal race. Um, you know, we all set these goals that we tell, we put them out there. I'm going to run X marathon. I'm training for X marathon. Things don't go as planned and people feel kind of um, hemmed into a corner that, that, well, I still have to do this race. I signed up for it, but that's not the case. If it's not in your best interest, if your training wasn't ideal and you don't aren't in a position where you can um, run the race with adjusted goals, maybe you adjust the race and you say, you know what, I'll be able to get in some more quality training if I push my race out two months and you can shift. There's no rule that you can't um, can't change that goal of, of, of your, your actual race. Yeah, I think it's worth spending a, a minute on COVID because we've mentioned this before. We've had a lot of runners 
across the country who have had COVID over the summer. Um, none of them know each other. It's just this, this strain of COVID is very contagious and a lot of folks have gotten it. So we've had a real window into what's happening across the United States and sort of what is happening among our runners from all parts of the country. And, and I, of course, got it again um, a few weeks ago. And I will say that it's a relatively mild virus. I mean, everyone seems to recover within a few days. They may feel really crappy for a few days, but then they recover. But the issue is a lot of folks um, want to start back with their running uh, right away because they feel better. And everything we've learned, and we've, of course, had Dr. Olin on the podcast as recently talking about this, the longer one can wait to run after having COVID, the better. So with a goal race on the horizon, that is even more difficult to restrain from running, refrain from running rather, when you have a goal race. But we are working with our runners and really encouraging them to wait to run because you don't lose a lot of fitness in a week, two weeks, even three weeks, you can get it back. But if you dig yourself in a hole by trying to run too soon, all that's going to happen is you're going to run yourself into the ground by race day. So if you have a coach, or of course, if you're working with us, talk to your coach and have them walk you through it. It doesn't mean you can't do your goal race if you've had COVID. No, not at all. It just may mean you have to adjust your goal. And to that end, with respect to adjusting goals, um, if you are running in a some sort of training group where you are assigned pace groups, please don't allow your pace group to determine your goal race. First of all, you may be faster than a lot of the folks in your pace group. Really, what is a great determinant of your sort of goal pace is a a tune-up race. So if you just ran a tune-up race of any distance and you knocked it out of the park, well, you are absolutely correct if you want to set your goal race time a little, little faster than maybe what was originally set in your pace group. But stick with the pace group you're in because obviously those pieces are serving you very well. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, if your training season has been a little wonky, but you're still running successfully with your pace group, that doesn't mean that you need to set the exact same goal as the rest of the folks in your pace group. Goal setting for races and your race pace is very individualized and you really need to think carefully about what pace you think you can sustain during a race. If that pace happens to fall within a Boston Marathon qualifier, if you're looking at that, that is fantastic. But the worst thing people can do is sort of will themselves into a box of, well, I'm 45 years old and my BQ needs to be this, so therefore I'm gonna run this pace. No, look at your history of your training and your racing during that cycle and then make a decision. And if you don't have a, a tune-up race, go do a time trial before your race to figure out what exactly you want that pace to be and or run easier the first. And we'll talk about this more in our second part of our podcast with our coaching episode, run the first half of your race a little easier and then really go to town your second half. But starting out too fast as we all know, in your training runs and in your racing is only going to cause um, more pain toward the end of your race and certainly could cause injury during your training as you get closer to your race. Yeah, that's another good practical tip is have a tune-up race. Um, we like to see them four to six, seven weeks out from race day. Um, you know, so for a, if you're training for a marathon, a half marathon four to six weeks out is always a good way to kind of gauge where are you and what's a reasonable goal for the marathon obviously subject to variables like, you know, if your half marathon was on a really hot day in a really hilly course, your potential for the marathon in a cooler weather on a flatter course may be better, but that's certainly another, you know, another way uh, you can prepare now uh, and set your expectations is, is with a tune-up race. 
Um, one other you know, thing we like to think about at, at this point in terms of physical preparation and controlling controllables is controlling what you're doing outside of running. So we all look so much, you know, we all pay so much attention to what's my mileage, what's my training run, what's my workout for today. And then we're done with the workout and running goes out of our head and we might sit all day in front of the computer or we may walk around the house barefoot or we may go to work in high heels um, for the, you know, those of us who are wearing high heels at work, but you may be looking at things that what you're doing outside of work, I mean, outside of your running. So um, that can affect your running. So sitting all day, hips are getting tight. Um, you know, I know Rachel, our fabulous PT that we work with says she sees a ton of people coming in and the issues that they were having, especially during COVID were from sitting so much more than we were used to. Um, a lot of plantar fasciitis starts to come up, especially in the summertime, because people are wearing flip-flops or not wearing supportive shoes or they're wearing bare, you know, they're going around the house in bare feet. So looking at what you're doing outside of, of running and, um, you know, making sure that they support your goal of getting to the start line healthy. Yeah, so in addition to talking about footwear outside of our running, we've been remiss if we didn't bring up footwear for race day. We know a lot of folks that buy carbon plated shoes and that's certainly an individual decision, but we also know a lot of folks that haven't really tested said carbon plated shoes more than like a mile or two, because we understand that you only get about a hundred miles with those shoes. So you certainly don't want to use them up before your race. However, you got to do a couple training runs in them, including uh, at least a few workouts where you're running at your goal race pace, because your form may be very different. Um, it shouldn't be, but it may be very different um, when you're running easy versus running your goal race pace. So yeah. So yeah, definitely. And, and also with respect to, to shoes, like look at your race that you're running. If you are running, you know, we just had a runner, uh, Daniel do the um, Cascade Express Marathon, which is out near Seattle and it's crushed gravel the whole way. And he said, even parts of it are a little bit thicker than crushed gravel. They're you know, a little, little rockier. And, um, you know, in a race like that, you may want to wear a little more substantial shoe, a, a carbon plated, really lightweight trainer may not be very comfortable on a course like that. So depends like Erie is another uh, race that's on crushed gravel. So what, what, what does your race look like? Um, what is the topography? Um, and, and like you said, it's really important to, to test that out. We had a runner who did a half marathon, uh, it was probably a year or two ago in a new shoe. She had gone to the shoe store. She gotten sold on carbon plated shoes. And despite my warning of like, probably shouldn't try that on a race day, she decided to, and she had to stop halfway through because she had such bad calf pain. Um, from the shoes. So she actually dropped out of the race and said, you're right, I should not have worn those shoes on, you know, for, I think she had tried them out for a very short run prior and it was fine, but there's a difference between wearing a shoe like that for a short speed workout and wearing one for a longer distance race where your muscles are going to start to fatigue. And if that happens, the biomechanics of those shoes may not be um, good to support you and you may end up in pain. So like you said, if you're going to be, whatever you decide, whatever your shoe is that you're going to wear, start practicing now in those shoes and also make sure you have a pair that's new enough. It's going to last you through race day. So for a lot of people who have races coming up in three, four or five, six weeks, this is a good time now to get that. Uh, I wouldn't say a new shoe entirely, but a new pair of the current model shoe that you're in. Yeah, so the last sort of category we wanted to talk about is logistical preparation. Now is the time to uh, double check your travel plans, your hotel plans. Um, with respect to travel, really tough the day before a race to travel. So if at all possible, we would encourage folks to travel two days before the race. Why is that? Um, because if you're sitting for long periods of time in a car, 
or on a plane, not only can that wear you out physically, but just as you mentioned, Lisa, it can cause some tightness. So if at all possible, we encourage that. If that's not possible, no problem, then we would advise um, to plan in relatively soon after arriving at your hotel, if you're traveling, a shakeout run to sort of loosen up after traveling um, so that you don't walk around the rest of the day and head to the expo stiff from your travels and then head to bed and then run the race the next day. So if you're doing a shakeout run the day before your race and traveling, we would absolutely advise that you do the shakeout run after you get to your destination. Yep. Good, good point. And just that also reminded me that um, you may even want to look into massage therapists that are in the area of the race, or like we do, we actually, if we're getting there a couple of days early, we'll find a cryotherapy place and do a cryotherapy session. So whatever works for you, we're not saying do anything new, but I used to, I remember actually when I did the Chicago marathon one year, I found a massage therapist in the area. And I think on the day before the race, um, somebody experienced with runners, so they know not to go too hard the day before the race. But, um, you know, I was pretty stiff from traveling and, uh, it felt really good to have a massage and, um, you know, check with people that live in the area, check with runners that live in the area if they have a good massage therapist, but do that early because I'm sure those massage therapists book up early before, especially before local race weekends. But um, that's something you can do if you're traveling in from somewhere where you think that that, that would be helpful. Um, also now, um, speaking of looking into local resources, look at the race website now. Um, a lot of the races will have their athlete guides up several weeks in advance, or again, just looking through old race reports uh, or looking through the website to find out the logistics of the race. Like where, where do you need to be? When's packet pickup? When do you need to be there? What do you have to have with you to get your packet? Can somebody else get it for you if you can't be there? Um, so that you're planning, you know, your travel around you. If packet pickup only goes till 5 p.m. and your flight gets in at four, uh, you, you know, you're going to have a tight window there. So look through the waste race website, find details on all of those logistics, the race weekend um, timeline, read through that athlete guide. Uh, another good resource is their Facebook pages for the website, uh, for the races. So if you go on the Facebook page for the races, a lot of times people will be asking questions. Hey, is there gear check? Hey, what time, you know, what time can I get my packet? Hey, how, how long are the lines for the corrals? And you'll get some good information um, from either just other uh, Facebook, you know, people on Facebook answering those questions or actually the race organizers answering those questions. And make sure you're in the right corral. I don't know, for some races, it might be too late, but there are a lot of people that will look at their race information the week before and say, oh, wait a minute, especially for the bigger races, I should not be in this corral. It's too fast or too slow. Um, make sure you're in the right one. We usually don't think it's necessarily a horrible thing if you're in a corral that's a little too fast because you can still control kind of your pace with that if you're disciplined. Um, for some folks, the issue is more when they're in a corral that's much slower than their pace and then they're never able, especially the more crowded races, they're never able to sort of lock in their pace for a while. So that can be really tricky. So if possible, definitely see if you are do perceive yourself to be in the wrong corral. See if you can make that change either now or at the expo. I know a lot of times people are put in the wrong corral, for example, at the Miami Marathon and the Miami Half Marathon, and they're really great at the expo about changing that. Other races will be very clear, no changes after a certain date. Um, you know, speaking of that, I noticed I was preparing race prep for one of our runners for the Fox Valley Marathon this weekend, right outside of Chicago. And interestingly, uh, if you want to pick up your packet 
the day of the race, you had to pay some, you know, $35 fee. And so it's, that's not normal. That's not something I would expect. And so writing up her race prep, I was like, you have till Thursday to pay this fee. So make sure you pay it because I assumed that she was going to go up and pick up her packet the morning of the race because she's a local runner. It turns out she's getting a hotel anyway, which was really smart on her part. But my point is there's always something like a little wonky, especially these little bit smaller races that you wouldn't expect. And that was an example of one. Yeah. That's a good, good example. That's um, similar. Um, similarly, when I was preparing a uh, race prep for Daniel Wachtel for um, our cast, the Cascade Express Marathon, he just did that. So there's a tunnel in that. So if anyone's doing the tunnel vision um, race, it's all on the same course, tunnel vision, tunnel express, Cascade Express, they're all in the same course that have, have a tunnel. And many of the races will, um, you can wear a headlamp, you have to wear headlamps through the tunnel. It's dark, like pitch black, the tunnel. So people wear headlamps and then they'll collect the headlamp as you come out of the tunnel. So you can just drop it in a bucket and they bring it to the end for you. Interestingly, this race did not. And they did hand out little flashlights, but the race reports prior, if you look up people's feedback on the race, was that the flashlights they gave you were not sufficient to be able to see in the tunnel. So it was good that we knew that in advance. So he actually went on Amazon. I recommended he get a clip-on light for his belt, um, you know, for his like for his waistband. And he got that, which was bright and it worked and it didn't bother him after because he wasn't able to return it. Um, so again, these little unexpected things, like research them now, look through those athlete guides, look through the Facebook pages, look through the race reports to find out are there things that you don't want to be caught off guard. Uh, and, and you want to think about these things several weeks in advance. If you have to order something, if you have to pay a fee, if you have to figure out packet pickup. Um, so don't, don't be caught uh, off guard. This is a good time to start researching all of those little just details and logistics. That's super funny when you think about it. Like it's basically like a little bit of camping in the middle of your race, pick up your light. The flashlights yeah. aren't sufficient. I mean, it's like high maintenance. Definitely. That was a weird, that was a weird one. Yeah. But like, but, but I was glad that we saw that. And, and he, for anyone who's going to be running one of those races, he did say the clip-on um, belt, the, the clip-on light you can put on your belt worked perfectly. And he said, you definitely need something bright because it is pitch black. He said he kind of sped up to catch up to one runner that was near him so that the two of them together, their lights were sufficient so they could see and not trip. And he said, there are some little light divots and um, potholes in the tunnel. So you want to be able to see. So anyone who's running one of those races, make sure you order one of those off Amazon, a clip on light, um, or have something that's, that's bright enough that it's going to illuminate, uh, illuminate well. And that, again, if you have a race like that, that doesn't collect them, like you don't want to be running with a headlamp the rest of your race. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that, find something that's going to be less obstructive, which seems to be like these clip-on, like we felt clip-on lights that seem to work well. I have two more points with respect to logistics. Point one is um, decide how you want your watch to function well in advance on race day. Um, You know, we often recommend to set your watch to manual and that way, if you run any tangents, you're just going by the mile markers. And every time you hit a mile marker, you just hit your watch and then you know your exact pace. But understandably for some folks, that is just such a, like, it's just like another thing to remember. We understand. And they would just prefer to leave their watch as they've left it for all of training and not worry about it. But if that is important to you and you are someone that let's say you want an exact time because you're trying to get a a bossing qualifier and you, every second counts by all means practice using that manual function on your Garmin, uh, well before race day. So it becomes habit. And, um, the second thing I was going to say is with what, with hydration, Often we get into sort of a groove with our hydration where we really enjoy having our own water and not relying on the hydration product on the course. And if that's the case and you have a race where spectators are, are, you know, ample, then by all means make a plan with your 
loved ones who were spectating and do some sort of water bottle swap, where maybe for like the first half of the race, you are carrying or wearing your water bottle and you swap it out with a loved one that happens all the time. But if you're not, we suggest that you purchase or grab a handheld that you don't care as much about and one that you wouldn't mind donating. And Practice carrying that while running fast, carrying it for as long as you can. That allows you to skip the first couple of congested water stops. It also allows you to have ample hydration early on the race when your body's able to better process it. And then when you're, you decide that the water bottle is making you angry, you just chuck it or donate it. And that is something that we often find we're discussing with our runners, at least for me, a little too close to race day. So just that's something real easy that you can practice with now. What kind of water bottle do I want to run with if I choose to run with one? What's that? And, and try out a bunch of them. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a waste of money because you're buying a couple of different ones. But if you don't like it, you can give it to a running friend. Yeah. And check in advance too, to make sure, you know, some of the bigger races do, don't allow certain hydration packs. So that's something else to show. You don't want to show up on race day with your hydration pack ready to go and then find out you cannot use it during the race. So, so check that. And um, not that it's as much of an issue, but many races do say you can't accept outside, uh, outside assistance. Now they're putting that mostly on the elite runners and that that's where they're going to enforce it the most, but, um, that you can't have a bottle handed to you along the course. Um, it's part of the rules. Actually, I think it's in USATF rules. Um, so, so, you know, if, if that's what you're planning, you may want to, you know, just look into that and make sure, again, I don't think those rules are typically enforced to the, you know, the majority of the, of the field, but, um, just something to keep in mind so that you're not caught off guard when you get to the race and you find out, uh, you're not allowed to do something. Great point. I don't think that I, I, I mean, I've never personally heard of anyone actually getting called out for an amateur runner for having a water bottle handed. I feel them. like there was a story not long ago. Like, I feel like there was a story, but I think it was like an not, you know, one of the winners of the race, but they had accepted something so. from somebody had handed off. I just yeah. have a vague recollection of hearing that and then reading the story and then finding the rule that it really, there is a rule that you're not supposed to, you're not, you're not allowed to accept outside assistance outside of the official, official, you know, water and, and nutrition station. So again, not a major issue, but just something to think about. And again, just underscores, um, be prepared, read, go, go look up the race athlete guide, the race rules, feedback from other runners who have done it just for any, anything uh, that you want to uh, consider. Like you said, it, we don't like to be talking to our runners about these strategies and these, uh, you know, little details, like a few days before when they're kind of in a panic because they haven't ordered a new water bottle or they haven't ordered their nutrition, you know, enough of their nutrition that they're going to need to bring with them. And now where do they find Morton on a short, you know, on a one day notice, like how are they going to get their hands on it? Uh, you know, a good example, when we went to Boston in October, uh, the expo was not normal and, and we weren't really prepared for that. And a lot of times people count on getting their nutrition or the little last minute things they need at the expo. And hopefully that won't be the case again. Hopefully expos are back to their normal capacity. But you just don't know when you get to a city that if you're traveling um, outside of your area, you don't know what you're going to have access to. Another example for me is when I did the Columbus Marathon. Um, I, you know, typically when I get into a city, I go and I go, buy, I go to a grocery store, I buy my waters, I buy, you know, I have my, my restaurants that I like or my, you know, places that I like to buy food. And um, Columbus, downtown Columbus shuts down on the weekends. I think it's like one of those. No kidding. Yeah, I, you would know, and you know, but I didn't really look into this before. So I got there and the CVS was closed because it's like only open during the weekdays when there are businesses open, like, you know, people in their offices downtown. And to get to a grocery store, I had to walk like 2.6 miles to like the Kroger that was like, 
quite a ways away. And I, I was not prepared to like stock up on the stuff that I normally needed. So if there are things you think you're going to need, bring them with you. Don't, don't, don't wait till the last minute and rely on getting them in your destination. Because if you can't, then that can lead to some last minute panic. Absolutely. Well, that concludes part one of our coaching episode on controlling the controllables. We hope this helped folks out there sort of get into the mindset of racing. And uh, if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to answer them. And uh, wishing all of our runners in particular the best of luck um, as they start uh, teeing up for their fall races. We've already had some already, and we're excited to see all of their hard work and training come to fruition. And we're really looking forward to, as you mentioned, Lisa, having all of these race directors on our podcast over the next month or two to talk about uh, specifics on their race course. We really hope that will help a lot of folks out there running fall races. And before we go, we just want to give a big thank you and shout out to all the folks who have left us uh, podcast reviews this week. It means the world to us. We really appreciate those five-star reviews. They help others find us, but um, they also allow people to look at our show as more legitimate because it does have a lot of positive reviews. And we just really, really appreciate your support and all of the people who listen to us and your feedback. It means the world to us. We we do this uh, for our love of running and to be able to provide all of our listeners and our runners, all of the information that we feel one would need to be successful runners. And that's why we do this. So thanks all for listening and for your reviews. And Lisa, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great week, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.